Well, Happy New Year, everyone. I uh, assume you've all got your New Year's resolutions squared away. It's that time of year when we make that famous list of aspirations, uh, things that we hope to, to do, maybe start some new habits for some of us, maybe break some old habits. But if you're anything like me, you can probably just take last year's list and just copy it, and it'll work again for this year. Um, Good intentions only go so far for me about three months, and that's about how long they they last. But, you know, there's one thing that I did think about this year as I considered that famous list of resolutions, and that's what I've never seen on that list before. I've never seen anybody plan to fail. (laughs) Ever thought about that? I've never looked at any list where somebody wrote, here are some really bad decisions that I expect to make this year. (laughs) But yet, the fact is, we all make some of those bad decisions along the way. No one plans to fail, but it is an inevitable reality of our life. This may be why some of us don't bother to make resolutions, right? Because we know that we probably aren't going to keep them, so why set ourselves up for failure? We just stick to what we know to be true. We live inside that comfort zone. We don't stretch ourselves too far, and we're good to go. Which, you know, in life may be okay, but when it comes to our spiritual life, if we were to apply that same principle, I think it gets really dangerous. If we let the fear of failure dictate our steps of faith, no one would ever move. We would live within our spiritual comfort zone. And we would know and understand God in that limited perspective inside that very small box. The fact of the matter is, God doesn't live in that box. And he has a way of helping us face our fears so that we learn to trust in him. See, he gently teaches us to take steps of faith so that we can grow in what it means to have a passionate, deep walk with Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to examine how that truth, that that journey of faith, uh, takes place in the life of, of Moses. I believe what we see in his example is something that we see exemplified in our life as well. Like Moses, our fear of failure often inhibits our experience of God's promised provision. We tend to to focus on our weaknesses like, like Moses did, to the point that we never put ourselves in a place to really understand what it means to live in his strength, not in our own. But as you will see this morning, there are things that happen in the heart of Moses. And this change in his heart radically transforms his life and ultimately changes the course of human history as we know it. And so this morning, as we look at this together, my prayer is that what we see in the life of Moses becomes increasingly evident in our life as well, that that his story of faith becomes our story of faith. So as we look at that together, let's go to the Lord to begin with and and pray. Father, we ask that uh, as we open your word this morning, as we begin this new year uh, examining the truth of your scripture, that you will allow these things to come alive in our heart. 
Father, help us to see that, that transformation that takes place in the life of Moses and see the evidence of that same thing happening in our life as well. Help us learn from his example and be able to take steps of faith this coming year to experience a deeper walk with you, our Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you will, turn to Exodus chapter 3. We actually looked at the, the beginning of Exodus chapter 3 last week on Christmas as we examined uh, the life of the shepherds. And I'm actually going to kind of pick up where we left off uh, on a different note. We'll change directions a little bit, but we're going to be right there in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. If you will, read along with me, Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. It said, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. God said, do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the region of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and Now, indeed, the cry of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen how severely the Egyptians oppressed them. So now, go, and I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that that I should go to Pharaoh, or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God replied, Surely I will be with you. Moses, in this scene, has encountered the burning bush. God identifies himself and reveals his will to Moses. In verse 6, he tells Moses that I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry and I have come to rescue them. And God then reveals to Moses that I have chosen you, Moses, to be that one who will lead them out of slavery. Now, I think in my mind as I'm reading this that Moses does a quick rewind of his life. And he begins to consider the events that have occurred up to this point. And in his heart, he's probably asking a question. Are you sure this is a good idea, God? In fact, Moses probably thought to himself and said, I think I'm probably the last person that should be on your list to do what you've asked. I spent 40 years in the house of Pharaoh as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. I earned their trust as a leader among the people until the day the anger that I struggled with got the best of me. And I killed an Egyptian soldier in order to rescue a Hebrew slave. I instantly became a hated traitor. So much so that, as far as I'm concerned, the Pharaoh and his armies are still out to kill me. And not only that, not only am I a a wanted man, now I'm a 
a shepherd. And God, we both know what the Egyptians think about shepherds. I'm hated both because I'm a traitor and by my profession. I'm not exactly a person of influence in that culture. Surely, God, you've made a mistake. I'm not the best person for the job. Now, maybe it's just me, but as I began to consider what was probably going through Moses' mind, I honestly thought to myself, you know what? He's got a pretty good point. I'm not so sure he's the best person for this job. But then I remembered. You know, God does have a way of taking the least qualified people to do his most significant work in the world, doesn't he? He's not so interested in our past performance if we are willing to trust him with his future provision. But we're a lot like Moses, aren't we? Very often, this is where we get stuck as well. We let our fear of failure, dictate our steps of faith, and as a result, we can't move. We get paralyzed in our own sense of inadequacy. And when our focus turns to ourself and our weaknesses and our struggles, we often lose our ability to hear God speak into our life. That's what happened with Moses. If you will, look at verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. God is speaking and he says, The elders will listen to you. Then you and the elders of Israel must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. So now let us go three days' journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even under force. So I will extend my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will do among them. And after that, and only after that, he will release you. God turns to Moses and he says, look, Moses, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him what I ask you to tell him. But no matter how hard you try to persuade him, he will not listen to you. His heart is hard. And so there will be miracles that I will demonstrate over and over, and eventually there will be a point in time where he will let you go. Now, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, this is pretty clear, isn't it? God is explaining to Moses what's going to happen. He's given him some pretty specific detail. But look at chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered again, What if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but say, The Lord has not appeared to you? But what if they don't listen? What if the Pharaoh chooses not to believe what I say? Okay, isn't that what God just told him was going to happen? Right? That's exactly what God said was going to happen. But apparently Moses was so focused on himself that he could not hear what God was speaking into his life. Moses was operating under the false pretense that God's success was dependent on his performance. He's thinking this through in his mind, and he's given himself way too much responsibility for the success of God's plan. In fact, he's convinced himself that if he can't persuade the Pharaoh to do what God wants him to do, then God's plan will ultimately fail. 
So the verses that follow, God, and I believe a great act of graciousness, says, well, let me show you my power so that you can see it firsthand. And kids, this is where it gets really cool because this is what God does for Moses. He says, I tell you what, take that staff in your hand. I want you to imagine this happening, okay? You imagining with me? He says, take that staff in your hand and throw it on the ground. And when you do, it will turn into a snake. Sure enough, Moses takes the staff, throws it on the ground, turns into a snake. Well, God says, now what I want you to do is pick that snake up by the tail, which I think is a step of faith to begin with. And when you do, it'll turn back into a staff. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. As if that wasn't enough, he says, okay, Moses, now stick your hand inside your cloak and remove it. And when he does, his hand is full of leprosy, a a terrible, painful disease. And then he says, okay, now stick it back in. And when he pulls it out a second time, completely normal. God allowed Moses to have a glimpse of his power in the miraculous events that were yet to come. He got a preview, if you will. But look at verse 10 of chapter 4. This is Moses' response to what just happened. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not an eloquent man, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. This is amazing to me. God did something miraculous right there in the presence of Moses, and he can't even see the power of God on display because his eyes are so fixed on his own flesh. He is an eyewitness to the miraculous, and the best that he can come up with is, but God, I stutter. I stutter. In essence, he's saying, I can't do, I can't do this because, because I'm going to look like a fool. Moses couldn't hear God speak. He couldn't see God work because he became so focused on himself. He he was too afraid to fail. He wrongly assumed that God's divine power was limited to his personal weaknesses. Now, let's stop there and think about this for a minute. Because I believe that God still works in the lives of his people. And I believe he still calls us to take steps of faith. And so let me ask you, are you willing to trust him to do what you can't possibly do on your own? I had lunch with Justin Biggs this week, and unfortunately he recently lost his job due to some downsizing in the company. Very typical of a pattern within this particular company that he's worked with, I think, for like the past 12 years. And so he has begun to to look around. And the easy thing to do would be able to to seize the first opportunity that came along. And sure enough, this company offered him a position of a manager um, in the Dallas area. And they were gracious enough to say, listen, you don't even have to move. You can live here in Lubbock and just commute there early in the week, take care of your business, and come back later in the week. It's a good opportunity with good pay and a quick fix to the dilemma that he's in unemployed. What I appreciate about Justin as we sat down and talked about it is he said, you know, he said, I want to make sure that I am responsible to consider all the opportunities that come my way. But he said, I'm learning that I don't want to do anything unless I'm convinced that it's what God wants me to do. And so 
he denied the opportunity. He knew that that was not the best decision for him and his family. You see, that's a step of faith. In fact, when he declined that opportunity, his managers thought he was a fool. His co-workers likely ridiculed him for letting something like that pass by, which brings up another point. When you take steps of faith, are you willing to face the ridicule of what it means to follow God when he's leading you? I mentioned last week my son Graham, and, and, and really for all the students, this applies to you as you face peer pressure almost every day in the school system. If the truth of God is all you have to stand on, are you willing to follow what he says instead of following the crowd? Do you believe that what he says is the most important thing? Will you face ridicule for your faith? See, these are questions that we encounter when we begin to get outside of our comfort zone. When we enter into that crisis of belief and we have to ask ourselves in those moments do i trust myself or do i trust god and when we look at the life of moses at this point he he looks to himself to find that answer and his conclusion is i can't do it his fear of failure dictated his steps of faith and as a result he couldn't move and so god calls in a substitute he asks aaron Moses' older brother, to step in and do what Moses was unwilling to do. And and Aaron agrees. Look at chapter 4, verse 28. Chapter 4, verse 28. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went out and brought together all the Israelite elders Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and they believed. When they heard that the Lord had attended to the Israelites and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down close to the ground. I want you to notice here that that Aaron steps in and, and he speaks the words of God that had been revealed to Moses, and he acts according to God's instruction. Moses is involved, but really more as a reluctant observer. And yet God continues to carry out his plan and things unfold just as he said they would. And because of that, I think it begins to get the attention of Moses. And yet he's still reluctant to fully commit himself to trusting in God. In fact, as he begins to take very small steps of faith, It's as if he's anticipating his own failure. We know that because after having visited with the elders of Israel, Moses and Aaron make an appearance before Pharaoh, and they ask him to let God's people go just as God instructed them to. And then Pharaoh responds just like like God said he would, and, and he refuses. He says no. That's all expected. But what's unexpected is that Pharaoh says, in fact, I'm so insulted by your request, he pulls his foreman of the Egyptians aside and says, go tell the Israelite slaves to do twice as much work with half as much supply, and if they don't meet their quota, they're going to be punished. So you know what happens. They all get punished. 
And they all turn to Moses and Aaron and say, this is your fault. Look what you've caused us. And as a result, God then speaks again to Moses and Moses responds to him. Look at chapter 5, verse 22. Having received the criticism from the Israelites, Moses returns to the Lord and he says this. Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? From the time I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you have certainly not rescued them. And Moses basically looks at God and says, God, I told you this wasn't going to work. You should have never made me do this. It's happening just like I thought it would. A complete failure. Now, in Moses' defense, okay, God did give him a final outcome of what would happen. But he didn't necessarily give him all the details of what would occur in between. And since Moses wasn't convinced to begin with, at the first sign of failure, he's ready to jump ship. And I would bet that that's a familiar place for us as well. It it may look like we're following God in faith, but we're really just waiting for this whole thing to blow up in our face especially if it's not what we really wanted to do to begin with. Truth be known, oftentimes we really have more faith in the likelihood of failure than we do that faith that, that God will actually accomplish what he said he would. I think this is where we find Moses. And, and as a result, God steps forward and takes center stage. He tells Moses at the beginning of chapter 6, beginning of chapter six he says, now it's time. For you to watch what I will do to Pharaoh. In the following verses, he goes on to help Moses understand. He, he basically looks at Moses and said, Moses, understand. This is not about you. I am the Lord. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am a covenant God who keeps my promises to my covenant people. Let me walk through this one more time so you understand exactly what's going to happen. And and he does. Now, as you read this, you think maybe this sounds a little stern, and and perhaps it is. But in my view, this is one of the most loving things that God could have ever done for Moses. Because what I think he's telling Moses in those words that he speaks is, Moses, Moses, I I want you to understand that I have not given up on my people and you are my people and I will not give up on you if you keep your eyes on my power and not on your weakness your faith will be strengthened and you will learn to trust in me see this is the point in time where where the plagues begin, and and this is where it gets fascinating to me, not because of the plagues themselves, although those are pretty cool, right? But because of what we begin to see happen in the heart of Moses because of the gentle patience and faithfulness of the God he serves. Remember, when we started out, Moses is at best a reluctant observer. He, He expects failure, and at the first sign of that failure, he's ready to abandon ship. But God sticks with him, 
and he gently admonishes him, or maybe not so gently admonishes him, to stay the course and see what happens. Now look at chapter 7, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, do a miracle, and you say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before the Pharaoh, it will become a snake. When Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, they did so, just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before the Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a snake. The Pharaoh then summoned his men, wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt, for their secret arts, and they did the same thing. Each man threw down his staff, and the staffs became snakes. But Aaron's staff swallowed up the other staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. Even this simple event intrigues me, because there's already some signs of things beginning to change. What's implied in this passage is that Moses speaks. He says what God tells him to say, and Aaron does what God tells him to do by throwing down the staff. Now, I don't think it's an accident that this is the same miracle that God had demonstrated to Moses in his presence. I think he's being gentle and compassionate towards Moses to say, you've seen this before, I'm going to do it again. Watch what happens. And in that demonstration of authority, even though they matched the miracle They could not match the authority that God had when all the serpents were destroyed except the one that he created. And so now Moses is listening. The plagues begin, and Moses and Aaron continue to appear before the hard-hearted Pharaoh, speaking the words just as God had instructed them. Now look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, seven full days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and, and tell him, thus says the Lord, release my people in order that they may serve me. But if you refuse to release them, then I am going to send a plague to all your territory with frogs. Now, let me just pause there and tell you that, that Moses is now speaking, Okay. He's gone and he said exactly what God told him to say. And if you were to read the verses that follow, it happens exactly like God says it would happen. Frogs everywhere. Okay? But now Moses, or excuse me, Pharaoh asks Moses back. Okay? Moses doesn't know what Pharaoh has in mind. He goes back to the presence of Pharaoh and Pharaoh has a question for him. Let's look at that together. Verse 8. It says, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord that he may take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will release the people that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, You may have the honor over me. When shall I pray for you, your servants and your people, for the frogs to be removed from you and your houses, so that they will be left only in the Nile? And he said, Tomorrow. And Moses said, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you, your house, your servants, and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord because of the frogs that he had brought on Pharaoh. The Lord did as Moses asked. The frogs died out of the houses, the villages, and the fields. The Egyptians piled them in countless heaps, and the land stank. I bet. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, 
and did not listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. Do you see what's happening? Moses goes and speaks exactly what God tells him to speak. Pharaoh summons Moses back into his presence and asks him a question. This is off the script. Moses is on his own. Okay? God had not told him what to say. He was in a similar position a time before, and he froze. But in this situation, he goes as far as to say, Tell us what you want, Pharaoh. Well, let it be tomorrow. Moses said, So shall it be, so that you know that the Lord we serve is the God of all creation. Moses takes a bold step of faith. And I don't know if it's intended or not, but I read humor in this passage. Because it says that when Moses and Aaron left the presence of Pharaoh, it's as if they shuffled out of his presence, immediately hit their knees and said, God, we just told him that tomorrow was good with you. Can you please carry this out? Right? But in my sanctified imagination, I can see God looking at Moses and smiling from ear to ear. That a boy, Moses. I knew you could do it. You have put your trust in me to do something that you cannot possibly accomplish on your own. And now you're going to see firsthand that I am faithful. This is exciting, isn't it? You can see the transformation take place in the heart of Moses right before your eyes. As we continue to see, we read, we see that God answers that prayer. And does as Moses requested. And yet Pharaoh continues to harden his heart just as God said he would. Moses and Aaron keep going back as God instructs them. And with each new step, I believe their faith is strengthened. And not only that, God continues to gently allow Moses to be in a place outside of his comfort zone so that his faith is strengthened and his trust in God is built stronger and stronger. Let me give you an example. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. See if you can pick up this change that begins to take place. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the furnace and have Moses throw it into the air while Pharaoh is watching. It will become fine dust over the land of Egypt and will cause boils to break out and fester on both people and animals in all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses threw it into the air, and it caused festering boils to break out on both people and animals. Do you see what's happening here? Do you recognize it? Moses is moving from a reluctant observer to a willing, obedient follower. In fact, God goes as far as to say, let Moses do this one. Let Moses do this one. And Moses takes another step of faith. He both speaks and now acts according to the instruction of God. See, I'm personally convinced that the the plagues of Egypt had much more to do with the faith of God's people than they did with the punishment of God's enemies. God is using the circumstances, even hardening the heart of Pharaoh, in order to transform the heart of those who are willing to follow him in faith. And so the plagues continue. 
until the tenth plague, the plague of death, where every firstborn child and animal will die unless their doorpost is covered with that blood of the sacrificed lamb like we talked about already. This is a sign of faith that will protect them from the penalty of death. And once this is done, Pharaoh finally relents. And he releases the slaves of Egypt, the Israelites, just as God said he would. And so they're walking out of town. And as you read the text, you get this picture where all the Egyptians are coming out. Imagine this main road leading out of town, okay? And it's filed with Egyptian people. And they're coming out to the Israelites as they're leaving town. And they're giving them animals. They're giving them gold. They're giving them clothes. It's as if the Israelites had plundered the city, but they didn't ask for a thing. It's just being handed over to them. Why in the world is that happening? Because in the very beginning, God said that's what's going to happen. So they walk out of the city completely filled with all the goods of Egypt. And then they arrive at that famous scene of the Red Sea, right? This is a story that we're all familiar with. But as we read it, having seen this transformation process take place, I want you to examine it and see if you can recognize what has now happened in the life of Moses. See, the Egyptians go back on their word. And so the Israelites are up against a body of water they cannot cross and a Israelite army ready to mow them down, headed their way. As you would expect, the Israelite people turn to Moses again and they criticize him. This is all your fault. He's been in a situation like this before, remember, whenever the people criticize him. And you saw what happened the first time. Now, look at what happens this time. Chapter 14. Chapter 14. Verse 10. It says, when Pharaoh got closer, the Israelites looked up. There were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses... Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the desert? What in the world have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what, you, isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we can go serve the Egyptians. Because it's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. <laughs> We've been here before. Moses has faced this same situation where his own people have turned their back on him. And now they're criticizing him and saying, Moses, this is all your fault. But look what Moses says. Verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord that he will provide for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will never, ever see again. The Lord will fight for you and you can be still. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And as for you, lift up your staff and extend it over the toward the sea and divide it so the Israelites may go through the middle of the sea on dry ground. So it goes on to say, verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand toward the sea and the Lord drove the sea apart by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea into dry land and the water was divided so that the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground, the water forming a wall for them on the right and on the left. Okay, 
What do you think? Is this the same Moses? Is it the same Moses as we saw in the beginning of our story? It's not, is it? In fact, it's not even close. This Moses has learned to trust in fear of the Lord than more of his own failure. He's learned that to trust in God's power and its perfection in his weakness. This Moses has fixed his eyes on God and his promised final outcome, even if, even if the circumstances here in at the moment seem out of control. This is definitely a different Moses. His faith has been transformed. And now I want you to see what is the ultimate effect of this transformation. See, the, the people have crossed the Red Sea. God has rescued them. He, he, he said he heard them, he saw them, and he will rescue them. And it has happened exactly as he said it would. And so now look what Moses does. Chapter 15, verse 1. He stands in front of the Israelites, and this is what he says. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is the warrior. The Lord is his name. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, fearful in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. By your loyal love, you will lead the people whom you have redeemed. You will guide them by your strength to your holy dwelling place. And then in verse 17, you will bring them into a land and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in a place you made for your residence, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. A reluctant observer, a willing and obedient participant, and now a courageous leader. Moses has been transformed from a man who questions God to a man who genuinely worships God. That's quite a story of faith, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to watch that unfold? But let me tell you something. Don't miss this. That is your story of faith. That is your story of faith. You see, we too are called to live in his strength and not focus on our own weaknesses. We too must learn to fear God more than our own failure. And as we begin to take those steps of faith, I believe God graciously allows us to put our trust in Him so that we learn, like Moses, that He is faithful to rescue those who put their trust in Him. You see, that kind of transformed heart is what transforms lives. And when those lives are transformed, that's when the world is changed to the praise of his glory. Put that one on your resolution list this year. In all seriousness, I do pray that the example we see in Moses encourages us this year to take steps of faith. To to stretch yourself beyond your spiritual comfort zone and listen closely to what God is speaking. Don't miss it. And look closely to what God is doing. Don't miss it. And follow obediently to where God is leading. Don't miss it. 
Allow God to stretch you in ways that builds your faith and trust in Him. Move from that place of reluctant observer to become a willing participant. See that God is faithful and worthy of your genuine worship and praise. That is my prayer for you this year. Let's pray together. God, thank you for such a vivid, beautiful, clear example in the life of Moses. For us to be able to look at this pattern of change that took place as he was a a reluctant observer, unwilling to, to take even small steps of faith because of the fear of failure, maybe even anticipating failure, so that the first sign of failure, he was ready to quit. And Father, as we hear that story and see that play out, we recognize that we find ourselves there as well. But may we see in this story your gentle, faithful compassion, that you are a covenant-keeping God and you have made a promise with your people and we are your people. And you will not break that promise. You will not let us go. But you will continue graciously to put things in our life that, that stretch us beyond ourselves so that we have to take steps of faith where the outcome is not dependent on our ability but on your promise so that we learn that your power is perfected in our weakness. And as we continue to put ourselves in those places where we walk faithfully in obedience to you, we grow in strength and knowledge and trust that you are a faithful God and that you keep your promises. And as our heart is transformed, we are bold in proclaiming, this is the God we serve. And and lives are changed in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our world because we are faithful to carry out what you've told us to because we've learned to trust in you. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for every person here this morning that as we begin the new year, that we affirm a commitment to walk this road of faith with you, to trust you, to go where you lead us and nowhere else. We pray this in your name. Amen.